a Highline podcast. This is Ravel, a roundtable show about the complexity of faith in the age of information. My name's Josh. I'm Stephen. And I'm Emily. We each grew up in different parts of American Christianity, and we still keep thinking about how to take it seriously, even as we leave some beliefs behind. We think theology should be an exploratory dialogue, so our hope is that this podcast will encourage growth, both for individuals and communities. We don't have all the answers, but we're here to sort out as much as we can over a drink or two. Join us as we ravel out our faith in a complex world, pulling on one thread at a time, seeking meaning at the end of it all. Thanks for listening. Hello, hello. Oh, hi. Oh, hey, friend. Hey, welcome, you two. Um, before we get started, uh, we do have some announcements, but most importantly, I would like to find out what you two are drinking. No. Oh. What do we have? I like how you I like how you think our drinks are more important than the announcements. <laughs> We've talked about this before. A good drink is always more important yeah. than whatever we're doing. That's that's fair. Uh right before we hopped on, I uh made myself an aeropress of the Highline coffee blend. I'm dial- I'm trying to dial in my AeroPress game. So uh yeah. I did pretty good this time, I think. I'm learning. Ooh. But it's hard to mess up a good coffee if I'm honest. That is true. Um, I am just finishing off a coffee myself. I have some Stumptown cold brew in the fridge and I poured it over a lot of whipped cream. And uh when we first started recording, it was full, but this is our third attempt at a beginning because of recording. <laughs> <laughs> issues and it, now it's almost gone so i already grabbed myself a second drink i have some green juice from naked wow Ooh. which is way too seductive of a name for a juice brand but that's fine you think so hey it's only seductive if you make it seductive yeah stop okay? sexualizing my drinks you fool <laughs> yeah like pure Lacroix. purity <laughs> culture came for Lacroix, and we said oh. nothing emily what are you drinking <laughs> i am two fisted it Although technically three, but you two don't count oh, water because you're mean. Oh, yeah. Um, so I have my water. Uh, and I also have, because I couldn't decide between a hot or cold beverage. So I said, why not have both? So I made myself a London Fog, um, but I did it with almond milk. And I added some uh, vanilla and then honey as well. I sometimes don't do honey, but I was feeling the honey today. And then I also have a really, really tall glass of lemonade with blueberry. It's Mm. so good. Now, I have to clarify, because the last time you dropped London Fog on us, you failed to mention that it was iced last time. (gasps) Uh, So what temperature is this one? uh, This was a hot one. Okay. This is how I know London Fog is to be, so. Yes. I normally do drink them hot, but Alex... He's a cold kind of guy with cold beverages, and so nice. I usually every now and then will try iced beverages, uh, and I have to say, the iced London Fog is great because it tastes like Fruit Loops. If you love the cereal, you would love an iced London that's Fog. That's right. Now, it also should go without saying, but I just feel like being cheeky and checking that the lemonade is also cold and not hot. <laughs> <laughs> I've never tried a hot lemonade. That sounds- I don't know if I, I want I would try to. It. I would try it. No, no, not a hot lemonade. Just so I can say I tried it. I have tried hot Dr. Pepper, not the worst. So I would be willing to try hot lemonade. Hot Gatorade. Yeah. Okay, you two. (laughs) 
How are we even friends? <laughs> well, thankfully, either way, uh, nobody bought our drinks this week. No new patrons to shout out. But uh, I did want to mention something up front, which is very, very cool. That, that GoFundMe that we were raising money for, for one of our patrons, for Reverend Courtney Clark, is fully funded and then some. So thank you to everybody who shared about it, who read about it, maybe gave a little bit. It was actually a really small crew that donated to it, but some anonymous donor came through and donated the full goal amount. So right. that is tremendous. That's pretty cool. Uh, if you do really want to check it out and throw a couple bucks towards her, uh, it is still going to be open through the end of June. Uh, so shout out to Courtney. That's really cool. Uh, other announcement at the top on our last bonus episode that just came out, we put it on the free feed. We did an interview with Stacy Frenis, and we are giving away one of her books. So if you would like a copy of said book, Stay tuned on our Twitter and Instagram. That's where we will be giving away a copy. So look for it there if you'd like a free book. Also, patrons, be aware that we have a second copy that we're giving away oh, yes. on a random drawing just to the patron group. So your odds of getting a copy if you want one are a lot higher if you're in the Patreon. That's right. And if you don't get a free book, you should go back because uh, oh, she's a great person and it's a great book and I still need to read it myself. So You guys... I didn't get to be on the interview. You both crushed the the hosting of this bonus episode, and I just got to edit it. And multiple times, there were just like these long, like two or three minute stretches where I just i I want to just clip them out all as teasers and just put them out everywhere we can, because the story Stacy has to tell is so moving and so powerful and so lovely. Uh, like, like yeah, it, yeah, it was a really good one. Wow. We were originally just going to uh, record it for the patrons, but then we decided uh, we should just put this everywhere. So that's why we released it as a bonus on the main feed. So go check it out if you haven't listened. For Pride Month, no less. Yeah. Um, Delightful. This week, it is my episode. And I know Steven's thinking about his next episode and doesn't know where he's going to go. <laughs> um, I also don't know where I'm going to go with this. I, I don't. I have not decided. If, <laughs> if someone is just listening for the first time, Every episode, one of us brings the topic that the other two do not know about. Now I feel like is the reveal that at least Josh and I, sometimes we don't even know what the episode's about when it's our turn to choose the topic and we just start an episode. So you, the listener, <laughs> seeing what this episode is about, you know more than us at this point. Right. Um, so I have narrowed it down to three topics. Oh, okay. And I think I want your help choosing. I want to I gauge the, the room a little bit. So Okay. Uh, number one on the table, resurrection. Number two, big one, imposter syndrome, and number three, biblical endorsement. Oh, endorsement. Mm. What do we feel? What What is peaking our eyes, our ears, ears? Ooh, hmm. I'm leaning towards option number two, imposter syndrome. Ooh, okay. I am going to go ahead and echo that, my friends. Great. Excellent. Excellent. Did you only echo that because somebody else said it before you? No, I, I truly was no. feeling like that was the one I wanted. <laughs> I'm just kidding. So <laughs> what I've been thinking about recently in regards to imposter syndrome is I am really interested in like how we think imposter syndrome relates to faith and belief and also the act of doubting and moving past a belief. Okay. Which, to be honest, okay. is not usually the traditional way imposter syndrome is applied, which I think is why I'm 
interested in whatever role it plays here. Right. What do you guys think initially? Well, off the bat, I mean, I would be lying if I didn't say sometimes doing this show gives me a a feeling of imposter syndrome of like, who the heck am I to talk about any of this? Sure. You know? Okay. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, But at the same time, Mm. I I can counterpoint myself kind of with this whole Mm. philosophical idea I have around my other show, No Normal People, and the Highline Network that we made as a group. Like, I think the thing about theology is that it does belong to normal people. Like, it shouldn't just be like an academia type thing. Right. And I think very fruitful, very meaningful conversations can happen around normal people who aren't necessarily classically trained. Um, but we're at least, uh, we have an amateur interest that goes deep enough that we can mm-hmm. quote unquote hold our own. Yeah. So, like, I've, I've struggled with imposter syndrome just like as a podcaster as a somewhat public quote unquote theologian on this show or as an interviewer on my other show or anything like that is like who, I don't know, just that basic feeling of like, who the heck am I mm. to have the audacity to do this? You know, mm-hmm. I had do this you moment feel like you've had imposter syndrome. Oh, sorry. Go ahead, Josh. No, after you. Oh, I was just going to say, do you feel like you've had imposter syndrome before doing this podcast? Oh, or yeah. any other podcast? Yeah, I like what's weird about it. I remember having the same feeling when I joined public school in the ninth grade. I mean, even even very really, Emily, like joining the like pet band or just our symphonic band in freshman year. I looked at, well, first of all, like the seniors. I think it's very natural for freshmen to have imposter syndrome. We'll just say that right now. But mm-hmm. so looking at seniors, but even like you and Gage, I was like, well, I feel like I'm new to this group and these guys were here at the middle school and they are already friends and they already know what they're doing and what they're good at. And I'm just like this weird guy who showed up, you know, mm. <laughs> that's valid. Like there was familiarity and history among all of you. And then I was the new kid. Right. Yeah. Uh, Emily, to answer your question for myself. Um, I guess this is kind of the opposite end of imposter syndrome, but I had this moment in college when I was defending my thesis and, uh, I was like defending the title and my advisors were like trying to tell me like, we really don't think you should name it this. Like it should be a, like a more academic kind of title. And I then explained that the title was, uh, like a wordplay on what I was talking about and that it works for these reasons. And they were like, Oh, okay. No, that makes sense. And I was like, oh my God, I'm the expert in the room. Like I knew that and they did not know that. (laughs) And it just like, they like flipped the switch of like imposter syndrome where I felt like I had to like defend myself to people who were smarter than me versus Mm. like, oh no, I actually know this material better than you do. Mm. So that was kind of an interesting like cognitive Mm. flip that I can like think back to. Um, Do you have any examples, Emily, where you've like thought about or felt imposter syndrome yourself? Yeah, I think for me, um, especially growing up, you know, my sister and I, we were very much involved with sports, obviously, from, you know, earlier uh, conversations. Y'all know I'm a huge Chicago fan and you can give me as much grief as you want, but I don't care. Uh, But there were times where almost kind of like you, Josh, were like, I felt like I had to prove myself because people didn't think I actually knew what I told them I knew especially Mm. when it came to like 
understanding the logistics of a sport. So like Stephen knows, I was a football manager all through high school and I wasn't just, you know, standing on the sidelines, handing out water. I was actually the one in the booth and I was taking all the stats. And so when players would talk about their stats, I could actually engage in conversation with them. But half the time they didn't believe me because they just thought, The coaches were whispering in my ear telling me what to write down when really there was no one else in the booth with me. I was all Mm. by myself. And at times I felt like an imposter Mm. because I felt like I shouldn't be like the stats keeper. Like I should be the stereotypical girl in a jersey handing out water. Um, But that wasn't the case. Uh, And I learned very quickly not to let that get to me and that it was okay that I knew the rules of football or any other sport for that matter. Um, Mm. Yeah. It was an interesting dynamic and they learned really quickly too to respect me, especially because I did know their stats and I was able to review film and to say, Hey, like I really know what y'all are about. Like when you say you ran so many yards, I can tell you that that's not true or whatever the case (laughs) may be. So they learned very quickly not to, to get on my bad side because mm. <laughs> I could <laughs> reveal things that they were maybe being imposters about. Um, it, it was just a really interesting dynamic where where mm. I felt like an imposter, but also calling out people who were imposters too. Whoa, that's interesting. Okay, yeah, okay. So I like those examples. Um, in bringing it back to theology and faith, initially I think that imposter syndrome relates in two different ways, at least to the act of like faith and belief. I see it interacting in people who are actively a part of the church and like people who are like new to the faith where you're like adopting new beliefs and you're you're like very much wanting to be a part of the in crowd and like you know be a part of it and like conformity and all of that. And then I also see it on the other side of people who are either like actively sorting through their beliefs and or leaving the church or have even left the church and are, I don't know. I, I'm not quite sure how to word it yet because I like, it seems like a parallel, even though imposter syndrome is usually related to self doubt. It just like feels like it is present in regards to doubting other things than yourself. But I think that there is also self doubt mm. in sorting through your beliefs too. So how do you guys think it, interplays with belief and doubt and I don't know what comes to mind for you. I'm still enjoying this concept of Emily, like having the power on the football team to call out imposters. And I feel like that's, yeah, it can be really Mm. like, it's psychologically rewarding to be that person who's like, um, actually you're exaggerating that or you're trying to make a point that you can't make, you know, (laughs) Mm. which to be honest does happen in christianity for sure like oh especially yeah. like between groups of christians like that's kind of like the ultimate trump card to like pull the the no true christian <laughs> on somebody else right mm-hmm. and i think anybody who is like actively trying to believe and be a part of a faith community i could see that person struggling with imposter syndrome at certain times like yeah. do i believe all the right things to be a part of this community mm. I think that gets so complicated, especially when, like, let's say you move to a new town and you see that there are 20 churches, right? But maybe within those 20 churches, six of them are Lutheran 
and, you know, three are Episcopalian and two are Catholic and three are Methodist or whatever the case may be, you'll find that even each individual congregation has their own different beliefs. And so mm-hmm. you wonder, A, can I fit in not only in this community, but like in this particular group in the community? Totally. I think it can get just so narrowly focused that you really do feel like an imposter. And then like mm. if you decide you leave that congregation and you join the one, you know, three blocks over and people start talking, whatever the case may be, I think it can be kind of daunting. Yeah, I feel like that's a really good example because for me, I think one of the underappreciated highlights of imposter syndrome is that the person is afraid of usually the person is afraid of an outside perception of themselves. Like you might Mm -hmm. be kind of afraid of like doing the task in front of you and like you think you might not be able to do it, but really you're like ultimately afraid of failing in front of other people Mm. and like being seen as underqualified Mm -hmm. for whatever it is. So yeah, I think that community like new church example is a great one. I I think it's sad how we use qualification like (laughs) Faith shouldn't be and belief shouldn't be based on like qualifications. And so when you feel like you're not qualified in Mm. what, you know what I'm saying? That just sounds so sad to me. Right. Yeah. But I feel like in a faith community, the qualification is belief statements. Like that's why so many communities have a statement of faith that you subscribe to. But that's the thing is like if you join the church and you like say yes, then there shouldn't be anything past that. But it almost feels like there are like you have to continuously prove to people that that you still hold on to that, even if you're a longstanding member or you've joined two days ago. Yeah, because then the alternative is if one of the puzzle pieces doesn't fit quite right for you anymore, you put yourself at risk of being ostracized and at some point not a part of that community. Mm hmm. Or you, or you get your like your faith called into question, mm-hmm. which then I think could definitely cause a lot more imposter syndrome in some ways, <laughs> because it's like a self fulfilling prophecy. Like the moment some people say to you, like, "Oh, are you really a Christian anymore?" Then it just gets you thinking about it. <laughs> right. I think imposter syndrome is what's keeping me from going to a Methodist church. <laughs> Ooh. Okay. Say more, Stephen. I've I've been listening to you guys go back and forth, and I was like, "Oh my God, is this a root? Ru- th- is this part of it?" I because this is your intervention. Well, so I like certainly I feel affirmed by you, Emily, almost constantly telling me like, "I'm you are a Methodist," and uh, <laughs> that feels very affirming. But at the same time, I would feel I think I would feel a lot more safer going to your. Methodist Church mm. than the three in Billings? Four. That I'm aware of? Four? Okay, there's four. So even even to your point of like, theologically, I'm Methodist. I, I will say that straight up. Like, I am very comfortable oh. with oh. the way the United Methodists have, have done their stuff, right? You heard it here first, folks. Pause. It's, it's, June 12th. Okay. At 2.49 p.m., Stephen, <laughs> Stephen committed his life has to following the life of John Wesley. a United Methodist. Amen. Not global. Nope. Not global. Not global. Because United. We, because we have gotten specific with it, I would go the yes. United way and not the global way. But United way. Right. The United way. 
Uh, gosh, what, but, where was I going with that? Like you are Methodist in your theology, but you are Methodist in your theology. Oh, sure. Okay. So, so there, there is some like qualification, right? Like I, that alignment, I think is another word for those qualifications of like, I am aligned with the Methodist community. Mm. Let's put it that way. But I feel like rolling up to any Methodist church right now, I, like, I think there's, in a very real way that imposter syndrome does is like, there's a history to these congregations that I feel weird just being the guy showing up. Right. Just like showing up to band Mm. in ninth grade is like, these people know each other. They've been playing music together for a few years. And then me rolling up, like, obviously I'm going to feel like the new kid at school, which can be very vulnerable, but like isolating as well. Right. Even though Mm. you're joining a community. And I think, as well, speaking to this idea of like imposter syndrome kind of becoming a self-fulfilling prophecy or like a vicious cycle spiral kind of thing is that I have shown up to new church communities before. So like even in my own history, I have proof that I can show up to a church and be adopted into a community pretty quickly because I'm an agreeable person and people like me, which I feel a lot of pride about, but also I feel some imposter syndrome about that even is like, Mm. are they being honest with me or it, do I do something that just drives them crazy, but no one wants to say it, you know? Uh, so like I have history of showing up to church communities being brand new and being adopted into the group. And that feels very good. But I also have the feeling or the history of feeling like I am increasingly being put on the edges of those same communities that I no longer attend or am no longer a part of either. So I think there's like a, there's like a fear of the unknown, uh, fear of being the new kid in school, and also a fear of potential future rejection, that I feel like is wrapped up in imposter syndrome. Hmm. Where have either of you? Do you think either of you have ever experienced imposter syndrome regarding a specific belief, ever, or do you feel like like doubting a belief? feels fundamentally different from self-doubt in your like identity as something. Mm. Ooh, I have to I have to think about that. Can you put more words to the options? Sure. Uh like is does it feel like a different experience to you when you doubt a specific belief uh that you are wrestling with? Um whether it is a new belief that you're gaining or a belief that you think you might be walking away from or reshaping, uh, does that experience feel fundamentally different to you than uh, doubting yourself in terms of identity and or ability? Oh. Because like huh. the reason I ask that is because mm. I think I would use imposter syndrome to describe those like self-doubt, self-doubt ability, identity. That describes imposter syndrome. Right. I don't think doubting a specific belief itself is imposter syndrome but i think that we can feel imposter syndrome in that but i'm curious if we think that like those two different forms of doubt feel similar or different in any interesting ways does that help i think so this is a very nuanced question because i I think i would say i guess i'll just answer my own question thank you for asking um i guess i would say (laughs) that they do feel similar but I think that they feel different, but I think 
I think for me that the way they feel similar is that I think that some beliefs in Christianity especially are like held up as pillars, even though like arguably they're not like historically, but Mm -hmm. they're like held up as pillars of the faith that like hold up your house or whatever. And then when you like start to chip away at that pillar and like see it for what it is and like allow yourself to question it, regardless of like what the end product is going to be like, maybe it stays, maybe it goes, maybe you like replay dough it, whatever. I'm really mixing my metaphors here. But like, (laughs) I think that the like, depending on the belief, allowing yourself to question that belief, I think feels very scary in the same way that imposter syndrome feels scary when you're like questioning your identity because it like it feels like you're risking your identity potentially you're like oh if this one goes what am Mm -hmm. i like like can i stay it am i still a christian anymore like Mm. so i think it like i think the the fear element is similar um even though i think that they're like fundamentally different types of doubt yeah Mm. i think i think they are different in the sense that imposter syndrome feels it's 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 more of a question of like, do I feel like a fraud? Yes. Yeah. And for me, like I've experienced imposter syndrome with certain beliefs, and it's it's usually wrapped around an in like a specific community. So like when I'm in a community, and I am questioning my theologies of yeah. hell and what our whole like salvation project is as a like seeker sensitive church. I feel very invigorated and actually excited about the theological evolution that is happening within me. But when I'm a worship leader and have a moment of like, I need to sing, I am being asked to sing a lyric that now I don't believe. And I think is actually potentially harmful. Mm. Now that's imposter syndrome because now my sense of identity and my belief isn't aligning with where I find Mm. the, the safety and acceptance in the community that it all started inside so now i feel like a fraud because of my different belief but my different belief isn't making me an imposter but it's the it's the cognitive dissonance that where those collide where like the doubting of a belief causes kind of an identity crisis within a larger community identity see for me i almost see imposter syndrome as being a fraud, but in the sense of your actions not aligning with your beliefs. Mm-hmm. So, Ooh. you know, you attend church and you tithe and you say the prayers and you do all these things, but then out in the everyday, outside of the church pews in the church building, your actions don't reflect what mm. you say you believe. And I preach it. I see that more often than anything. And I and I mean, I've even been guilty of it, too. Like way early on, I would be so good at memorizing scripture and memorizing prayers and memorizing liturgy. And then, you know, I would get so dumbfounded when I would hear people, you know, were having sex before marriage or, you know, whatever, because I was taught very early on, you know, here's what's good and what's not good and what's right and wrong. And Mm. then as you get older and you start to shape things for yourself and you realize that's not entirely the case. It's not about good or bad or right or wrong. It's about what's life-giving and what's not. And knowing that it's not uniform for everyone, that yeah. when I would see people saying, I believe you know, in Jesus Christ and to love your neighbor as yourself, and then I would see them two days later 
you know, basically spitting in the homeless man's face, it would be like, whoa, hey, what what about two days ago when you were in the pews and you were talking about loving your neighbor? Like, <laughs> where do we see that disconnect? Because it's almost like people that do that on a regular basis don't fully understand what they're doing is an imposter mm. behavior. Like it's fraudulent in a way. That's really interesting, I think. Like the the person who doesn't see the disconnect and allow themselves to feel that imposter syndrome. Because really that disconnect should make them question mm. right. like what they believe and what they're doing. Yeah, it's it's one thing to live your life and have someone from the outside point out that your orthodoxy doesn't match your orthopraxy. But I feel like imposter syndrome can only be a self-diagnosis then. Yeah, I would agree with that. Because it's like, that's an internal realization that you have of like, oh, my actions aren't matching. You know, mm-hmm. like I, I think that self-doubt is inherently internalized, right? Like it comes from within. Like I, you know, I'm I'm very acquainted with this feeling of imposter syndrome because of an outsized inner critic as an Enneagram one. Like on the daily, like I'm usually waking up with something about my inner critic telling me that I have no right to be X, Y, or Z or do X, Y, and Z because of all the things I'm doubting about myself, right? Well, I I agree with Stephen uh, that imposter syndrome is inherently like self-centered, not in a bad way, but like yeah, you like recognize it for yourself. But Emily, I really like your example about like actions not matching up with words or beliefs or like like what you say you'll do because I feel like when people do feel imposter syndrome, they're afraid of being seen and called out as that person. At least in my mind, like I think a lot of people get worried about like, oh, if I like say I support this one thing mm. or I don't believe that one thing, the rest of my family or community is going to say like, oh no, you you aren't matching up. Like you're not a Christian. You like they're they're afraid of like mm-hmm. yeah. I don't know. It's weird because like it's not as big of a disconnect as at least in, I think in terms of belief. Like that's not as big of a disconnect as. The person who like says one thing on Sunday and then like does another thing on Monday. But like, I think people are afraid of that. They're afraid of being seen that way. Mm. Or it's those who over, I don't want to say like over show, but they almost make a production out of their faith. So they're always, you know, they're taking pictures of themselves, feeding the homeless and, you know, sharing how they're doing all these wonderful things, but they don't really internalize like the good of loving their neighbor instead they Mm. want people to see that they're loving their neighbor but they could really care less if they're actually doing it honestly that kind of like overcompensation i think could very well be a byproduct of imposter syndrome like someone's internal conflict yeah potentially i'm not saying it always is but wow Mm -hmm. and honestly people might not even be conscious about that either right like i think imposter syndrome almost always starts as an unconscious thought pattern yeah and then we become conscious of it and do you think it starts with us what do you mean or does it like is it sparked from the outside like is it initiated by others and then taken in or does it start with the individual i have an answer i think well i mean it's an opinion but (laughs) steven what do you think no i want your answer please go send off king (laughs) I think it is almost always externally based. 
Mm. Especially like based off of what we see in social psychology and like some really famous conformity experiments, like people feel pressure to conform in just like incredible ways. Like sometimes in ways that like the individual themselves is not aware about, which like that doesn't mean it's a bad thing. That just means it's a reality. Right. So I think that especially in like faith and belief circumstances, I think that there's a lot of implicit social cues that make people feel like there's no room for nuance, different in, difference in opinion, etc. Uh, like I think belief statements are a really good example of this. Like it sounds really good on paper to like be all on the same page and like be really clear with your beliefs, but then inevitably, I mean, I would be challenged to like see an example where this is not the case, but inevitably, what that causes is like no room for difference in opinion or uh, question or doubt really and then so then like because of that like implicit like codified structure around belief in that specific community the minute you start to question one of those things then it makes you feel like mm-hmm. well if i can't agree to all of it like because i've been there before too like i felt like i could not f- sign a statement of faith because i didn't agree with the whole thing i like i saw different nuances there and i like personally did not feel like it was a big deal but i knew that i would not Either A, I could not in good conscience sign it and say I agreed with it all, or B, I didn't feel like there was room for me to be like, hey, I, I'm like on board with most of this and like the things that I'm not on board with honestly don't see a big deal <laughs> with like us having a different interpretation about that. Like, I think that's okay. Yeah. So I would say it's mostly externally based and then we, the self, interpret that. I like, th- I like that. Yeah. We just want to say how honored we are that you listen to Ravel. Seriously, there's a lot of great shows out there, and we're grateful to be in your feed. Thank you for helping us on our journey to normalize people asking questions about theology. If you want to support what we're doing, the best way to help is to tell a friend about us. We want to be a resource for people on their faith journeys, whether they're deconstructing, reconstructing, switching churches, deconverting, and everything in between. And if you're able, you can support us for as little as $3 a month on our Patreon. Supporting us helps us cover fees, software, equipment, future ideas, and more. For all of you church finance skeptics out there like me, don't worry, we're keeping an open book for transparency. For our supporters, we've built an online space where we can be together. We know it can be difficult to ask questions about our faith, so we want to make that more accessible, comfortable, and normal. We're using an app called Discord, where you'll get private access. You already know us, and we'd love to get to know you. Thank you to everyone who's already supporting, and thank you to Louis Zong for the use of our theme music, In Full Color. Ravel is a founding podcast of the Highline Media Network. And here's a word from one of our sister shows, No Normal People. Yeah, I, I feel like I've sort of figured this out just in the last like five years of my life mm. that I enjoy cooking so much. Um, and I think at least part of it has to do with, of all things, gender. Uh, I'm non-binary and I feel a lot of like euphoria in being in the kitchen and like preparing okay. some quality food for friends and family. Mm-hmm. And definitely a part of where that joy comes from is in like the rejection of like gender norms. Right. Wow. It's pleasant.
Steven, you and I are at least a little bit coffee snobbish. Like we've both worked in the industry. I'm still working in the industry. We both have like multiple brew methods at home. That's right. I am super proud of the fact that we are starting to sell from one of my favorite roasters through the Highline Network, which is why I think we need to convince Emily to start making coffee at home. Yes, Emily, this is honestly a really easy sell. This is by Revel Coffee. This is a Montana local international award-winning roaster. They're super good. And when you buy a bag and indicate Ravel on checkout, you can directly support the show you love with every bag you buy. Ah, well, you've just convinced me. And I think what makes it even better is the coffee that I order will be delivered within days of it being roasted. And it's made especially for me. It's not just sitting in a warehouse getting old. Mm. So... If I'm going to get on board with this, I think all of y'all who are listening should too. So luckily for you, you can order now at our merch store. That's highline.network forward slash shop. Do you think that there are expressions of the Christian faith that want us to feel imposter syndrome? (laughs) Say more. Like, because I really like that question, but say more. (laughs) I would, I'll go out on a limb and maybe it's not even a very big limb because it feels very obvious to me that the Calvinist expression of Christianity wants us to feel the imposter syndrome of our belonging to the people of Christ so much so that it just continues this like positive feedback loop of like, I'm terrible to my core, but thank God for grace in Jesus. Mm. And somehow that just inspires me to remember still how bad I am and how good Jesus is. And it's just this ongoing loop of reminding yourself that like, man, I really don't deserve this. What I deserve is eternal conscious torment in hell by a God who cannot have any part in unholiness in my mere presence in front of him. If it wasn't for the thing Jesus did, I would just like melt away in his afterburner, you know, like that kind of like worm theology, uh, wretched, like total depravity kind of thing I think is designed to teach us that we, we are imposters as Christians, but thank God for grace. That's interesting. Mm. The only other one that comes to mind, which is like kind of similar to your example, I don't even know what to call it because I, I see it in like some Calvinist thought, but I don't think it's exclusive to it. Like people being worried about their salvation. I feel like I've, I've come across that in like multiple different circles over the years. Yeah. And I, I think it's fascinating. And honestly, I think it's unfortunate. Like I was actually responding to uh, uh, someone's question about this on Reddit the other day because this person like was clearly having some like, OCD tendencies around like policing their sin and like they were just like so petrified that like they were going to do something wrong and like be sent to hell and I was like oh my god like here's some here are some resources on religious scrupulosity that might uh, be good for you to read about yeah (laughs) but like I think that's uh, a very unfortunate but also kind of interesting Mm. byproduct of theology that I don't even know what causes that because I don't think it's reformed specific but like I think it's really, I think that is a good example of imposter syndrome where like someone is questioning their salvation on a very like existential level. Yeah. Oof. But speaking of that, I also see it a lot in the experience of like not going to church anymore for a time or like moving past beliefs. Like 
I, I feel like there is definitely some self-doubt in a like, oh, do I do I yeah. actually not believe that anymore? Or am I just angry at that church? Then you like, Oof, I feel that, you know what I mean? I am in this photo and I don't like it. <laughs> Untag me, please. <laughs> like, yeah, I feel like that's an example or like, well, we were, we were just talking the other day with some friends about like, some of us in the group had like grown up with left behind and the other people did not grow up Christian at all. So we were like trying to explain this like very weird subculture <laughs> that like really affected our childhoods. And like we were everything from like fake rapture stories to like thinking that your parents got raptured because you could mm. find them. And yeah. And uh, so I feel like that is another example that comes to mind as well. Not just like that theology specifically where <laughs> you're like terrified that you're going to get raptured and you've been the imposter this whole time. You didn't actually believe. But then on the other side, for people who like, I think this is a great example, actually, because of that like you see it on the flip side as well, like people looking backwards and being like. Ooh, like, what if I'm not right to move past that belief? Like, what if that is going to happen someday? Oh, you know yeah. what I mean. I feel that on a weekly basis. <laughs> but I feel like you. Do you see that kind of like flip flop versions of imposter syndrome? I'm trying to highlight. Totally. I totally. feel like that could apply to like so many different beliefs. Well, yeah. I mean, I, I say it a lot, but like five years ago, Stephen would be terrified for this version of Stephen, right? Of like, oh yeah my eternal destination mm. quite literally uh, i don't think five years ago Stephen would even be listening to this podcast <laughs> no he wouldn't and now he makes it i yeah it's man it's like imposter syndrome both ways i contain multitudes yeah. in that way of like wherever i am i sometimes i it, it is kind of a feeling of like the grass is always greener or like yes. on the other side of the hill, yeah. there might be a community oh. that has it even more right. And I'm still on yeah. the journey, sure. But also what if the the most right people were my last stop, you know, like, mm. should, do I need to go back there? Do I need to like reclaim a theology and somehow to, I don't know. It's, it's like, I, I, it's like I'm trying to build like an inventory for my D and D character of like, I need the best AC ever and I need the best weapon. And like, and then you're trying to like pick and choose different theologies or flavors because mm. of the literal, like Pascal's wager of like, man, if I actually get this wrong and they are right about the way it works, right. That uh -huh. I don't still freaks mm, me out. I don't think the question is, I don't I think the question should you go back I think that should be out there. I think the bigger question is would they welcome you back? No. You know, cuz like Ooh. I just I can I can think of in my own experience people who have walked away and then years later have come back and they have this shame and this guilt that's just ridden on them and mm. for people to say we've missed you and we love you and we're so glad to see you. And like, we don't care of all that's happened. Oh like, my God. you know, welcome back type thing. Like that's, that is what I think that's what matters the most. That's, that's the young prodigal son returning in Luke 15. Yeah, yeah. That literally is Basically. like, <laughs> Oh yeah. He has okay. a speech to give mm -hmm. his father. Like I will become one of your servants. I don't even care. My life was better here. Yeah. And I recognize that. And I He's want got back. a whole spiel. And the father doesn't even let him finish the speech. He runs out like in an undignified way into the road, gives him a hug and throws the biggest party. A big party. Yeah. That his family has seen for years to the chagrin of the older brother. Right. Like that's a really good tie in. Yeah. That, 
Man, that is imposter syndrome to it's a T. It's one of Steven's favorite stories. It is my favorite story. Uh, I got to give a shout out. Ariel on Transregret Snoopy did a study of Luke 15 and that story. Actually, all three stories of the lost sheep and the lost coin and the lost son uh, with one of their friends named Evelyn. And I was about to go on that show and do Luke 15. And I'm glad Evelyn beat me to it because they, they had reflections on that episode that convinced me why it's my favorite verse of the Bible or favorite passage of the Bible. But like, I just don't know how you don't read that story and not come away with knowing that the God of the universe is like the father in that story. Mm. It's wow. 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 Speaking of Bible and imposter syndrome, (laughs) I feel like Paul would have felt a ton of that Mm. being like the extra 13th apostle who wasn't part of the crew that was like the actual, dis- right? The 12th. And that's why he's overcompensating yeah. by writing so many letters. <laughs> <laughs> a little bit. <laughs> like, Ooh, that's funny. Paul the imposter. <laughs> that's why I feel like, whoa, that's a sound bite right there. Paul the imposter. What the? <laughs> like, I feel like that is why it was such a big deal that he called Peter out for like, continuing to be sectarian and like avoiding certain groups of people around other like in a peer pressure kind of way sure that's why it was a big deal for paul to be like peter man i know you're the rock that this whole church is being built on but you messed up come on that would be such that i have to imagine paul was just riddled with imposter syndrome quite a bit and i bet that influences a lot of his writing you know who Mm. else is riddled with imposter syndrome some pastors Oh, yeah, I Some? bet. 100%. I, Some, yeah. Are you as a pastor? I, I don't think so. I, I, feel like, I feel like it would be easy, especially looking at the United Methodist Church in ways that you can be ordained. You can either go to seminary or go through local licensing school. And I feel like for many years, people who went through local licensing school where they just got kind of the basics of what a Methodist pastor does and believes, I feel like it would be easy for those individuals to have imposter syndrome because now they're amongst colleagues who obtained a divinity degree and maybe have served in multiple churches or, you know, for those pastors who are third career pastors, maybe they were something else before and they decided that that wasn't for them and so they decided to pursue ministry i would feel like it would be easy for people who didn't get an mdiv or whatever degree to feel like an imposter and again i think it has to do with qualifications yeah I, like i i don't see them that i i the actually several pastors before me serving here at the united methodist church in cody she received her local licensing like certificate and she served here for a number of years and she attends the church now and her and oh, I wow. have wonderful conversations and you know she always reminds me she's like well I didn't get an MDiv she's like you know I went through local licensing school and you know I just want you to remember that cuz like I don't feel and she'll always try to go down this avenue of she feels lesser than and I'm like whoa 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 hey mm. Just because you went to local licensing school does not make you any less qualified as a pastor. Like your theology is sound and you 
brought this church through many, many situations, and you should be proud of yourself. Like, don't let that steer you in a direction where you felt lesser than. Like, that's heartbreaking. Mm. Emily, you made me think of this thing called the paradox of analysis, where like the the more you know, the less you know. Mm. Like how astronomers have more questions about the universe than we do because there's like they have more knowledge about it. And uh, that it just like reminds me of this is so anecdotal. I, I'm sure someone's doing research on it, but how it seems like you're more likely to go through a faith crisis if you go to seminary. Like not everyone who goes to seminary like has a faith crisis, but like you're probably more likely to like be shaken in some ways or maybe even walk away. Like oh, yeah. there's like certainly people who go to seminary and then do end up like leaving Christianity functionally. And it makes me wonder if like, this is so speculative, but it makes me wonder if we're more likely to feel imposter syndrome, faith or not, the more like education and quote unquote qualification we have. Hmm. I mean, obviously it's up to the individual to decide whether or not they're feeling that way, but I don't know. There might be something there about, education and pastors feeling imposter syndrome and etc yeah where do you think the line is or what the relationship is between imposter syndrome and healthy humility oh yeah yeah i was gonna say that too with that thing i like i feel like it's man i just love that we were like both thinking about the same thing i appreciate that <laughs> like that was not manufactured we would just like happen to both be thinking about that <laughs> right yeah, like I feel like the academic world is a great example of people being like like mm-hmm. humble in what they don't know or like knowing that they're not an expert in like a certain thing. Like I have a psych degree mm. and like anytime I talk about psychology, I like almost, I don't know if you've noticed this, but I almost always make a point to be like, I'm not a psychologist. Like I don't have master's degree training, but like here's what I know from like basic psych. <laughs> like sure, I'm not an expert on that, but like I maybe have a little bit of insight here. Mm. I feel like there is a difference between like admitting what you don't know versus like being like debilitatingly afraid that someone's going to call you out for saying something wrong or that like you clearly don't actually believe that thing that you're saying. Mm. That's the way I'm thinking about imposter syndrome anyway, is like being afraid of the call out. Oh yeah, that feels real. So like I am in the middle of taking a online course through trip fuller on process theology right now. And while while I am fascinated by process theology for sure, in a way I do still feel like my my normal people-ness is like I'm creating a barrier in my mind artificially for like I still don't know if I could or should talk about process theology in a meaningful way on Ravel just because like I don't feel qualified to talk about it, you know? Even though I feel like I'm learning a lot and it's like very much the very, it's like at a very exciting frontier of my theological thinking right now. But I I don't know if it's imposter syndrome or if it's just like, I definitely feel humbled in what I don't know. And I feel very content in just like listening to very smart and thoughtful people right now. I really appreciate you wording it that way because I think that one of the places that I feel imposter syndrome these days is in justifying not affirming a certain belief anymore. Like, Mm. I think that I used to be, so I've like, uh, 
I've been involved in some Facebook discussions uh, recently. Um, I was telling Stephen about this on our bonus episode. <laughs> yeah, I called you and, out a little um, bit, didn't I? <laughs> yeah, he did. <laughs> and like, so there's like a part of me sometimes that like wants to play, like that wants to beat people at their own game, <laughs> like a very like uh, competitive theology kind of way, because like that's what like so many people, that's a lot of the medium that so many people engage with. Like there's no, like in their minds, there's like not room for discussion. It's like all proof texting and whatever. But I think that sometimes I do that out of like this urge to like also justify my difference in belief with like their same methods that I don't necessarily like believe in those methods necessarily. Like I don't think you should proof text everything. Like I don't actually think that's a great hermeneutical method. Um, Mm. What am I trying to say here? I guess what I'm trying to say is that it's hard to get over the need to justify your beliefs. Like sometimes you just find yourself not believing in something and it's really hard to explain. And I, so I think that that like that grasping for explanation and meaning like leads us to these like weird cognitive dissonances where you're like, well, like, should I even mention that I believe differently or like, does it not matter? (laughs) Like if I don't say anything or like if I do say something, how do I justify it other than just like saying I don't believe that? Like, what's the most honest way for me to go about this? Uh, so, I mean, that's kind of a way that I've been feeling imposter syndrome over the last like, mm. I don't know, year or two, maybe. Mm. I only have two things to say. Only. First off, Stephen, you are more than qualified to talk about process theology on this show. Because the whole premise of this show is for us to I, come together and to ravel out our ideas. Yeah, that's right. And so I know. I think <laughs> I think when you when you don't bring that to the table, like you and actually this ties into my second thing that I was going to say, you are not allowing yourself to be open to the community mm. that will help. And so Josh, leading into my second thing, is like, I think one of the ways to maybe decrease or subside the feeling of imposter syndrome is having those people or that community that you feel like if you had to justify what you believe or no longer believe, that is a community that's going to help sustain you and walk along that journey with you rather than shun mm. you or or cast you away. Um, mm. And I think A... The fact that all of us at some point is going to question something to me shows that imposter syndrome really exists only if you create it. (laughs) Like if you stop Mm -hmm. believing in something or you start believing in something and you start to feel like you are no longer worthy or you need to prove otherwise, you are creating the imposter syndrome. (laughs) and. I think we need to find those spaces where you mm. should then be in a room with other imposters because if other people are questioning or believing in something else or not believing in something, at least you can be in that space together and then share here's why. And then you can lift each other up in that moment. Huh. Like mm. I would rather be in a room with other imposters if I feel like an imposter than mm. all alone. Because then at least I know those other quote unquote imposters are feeling the same thing that I am. 
And that can allow me to then grow or to question or to express myself then more authentically because I know then other people are questioning and exploring just as I am. Actually, that's okay. First of all, thank you for permission. <laughs> yeah, that was a good word. Um, Come on. I That's a really good point yeah. because, Emily, you have me thinking about this idea of like field-specific jargon mm-hmm. can be very alienating and... Like in my case, I, listening to a lot of very smart people talk about process theology and having read Whitehead and all these like process philosophers and theologians over the last few decades, like I haven't read the source material, right? And I don't know how to speak the jargon yet. So I have to use words that to me, I'm tempted to use the phrase like are dumbed down or simplified or something like that. Mm-hmm. But I, I I like your word there because... That really is like our project is normalizing, like being able to talk about like huge things with normal language. Yeah. And when I think about language, I also think about this idea. Tell me if this is anything, but an idea of almost like theological tourism where like if I'm a tourist and I go to Mexico and I don't feel and I don't speak Spanish, I don't understand Spanish in more ways than one. That makes me feel like a very. unhelpful or unvaluable member of that society in that moment because I cannot connect even on the most basic like communication levels right and uh, I I think that it can feel the same way as if like I'm showing up to process theology land and I don't know how to speak their language yet like I don't know how to get integrated in the group right because I don't have the jargon or I don't speak their language quite yet and it feels all just very weird and disjointed in a way of like i know i want to find a bathroom and then i want to find a place to eat but i don't even know how to ask for that right now like (laughs) and in theology i think like a tourism around like right you go take a course on process theology or you go read a book like stacy's trying to in good faith like open your horizons toward another view on lgbtq affirmation and inclusion like it's that's a very vulnerable thing and i think i think i think that border between like i'm going to choose to be humble enough to show up to a place where i'm feeling awkward or vulnerable or like the new kid in school i'm talking myself into going to church next week if i'm honest right now <laughs> but <laughs> but like i uh, that takes courage is what i'm trying to say like even if you're yeah. Uh, if even if you're using theological tourism as a way to be introduced to new ideas and maybe you leave that place being like, I definitely know where to not go to vacation next year, <laughs> uh, you know, mm-hmm. mm. at least you had the courage and had the humility to know that you were the new kid in school and that's okay. And you felt like some sense of like confidence enough in yourself to know, like, I don't belong here or I could definitely see myself belonging here if I would put the investment into it. Mm-hmm. I like that concept of tourism. I feel like what it really highlights nicely is uh, just the process of observation and that like you can observe something without adopting it too. Like mm-hmm. it shouldn't threaten Christians to observe other religions, you know, like right. <laughs> that doesn't mean you affirm them and it doesn't mean you're <laughs> like becoming more like them. <laughs> like, and it also doesn't mean you're evangelizing them either. Like you can just, observe mm-hmm. what someone else is doing. Yeah. I, I like that analogy. 
Mm. Emily, I think I'm still stuck with, I, I really liked what you have to say about like, um, you know, wrestling with people. I think there's huge value in that. Like, honestly, uh, the discord for Ravel has just been like so much more life giving for me personally than I ever could have imagined. Like truly blessed hashtag blessed. But like, I think I still, I think what, I think what you're highlighting well is the safety of being able to open up to other people who you know you can. And I think yeah. that I'm still firmly of the belief, and I recognize that this is a belief, that you are not obligated or you should like not allow yourself to feel the pressure to disclose your beliefs to just anyone. Mm-hmm. Like you don't need to, like I think that this is the part of me that like is still kind of like wrestling with like, where does imposter syndrome fit in here? Because like, I believe that like, I don't need to admit to you that I have a different view of heaven and hell than you. Right. Like, I don't need to. <laughs> like, <laughs> I know what you believe. I don't know what I believe. And uh, unless like, I know that you're willing to engage in a discussion, I don't need to just like throw that out there and just like, like for lack of a better <laughs> Christianese phrase, I don't need to be a stumbling block for you. Like, right. I don't need to like make this into a whole big thing. And I think that sometimes when I like get involved in discussions with people, that I know I do disbelieve or I do disagree with. I think that I worry about, um, I I worry less about being perceived as an imposter Christian, even though I think some people would call me not a Christian and I don't care. (laughs) I, I worry less about that than I do like creating unnecessary or unwanted or unconsented discord for them mentally. Like, are you going to start something before it's too? Yeah, I get that. Like, yeah. It's a very it's a very unique situation to put words to, I think. I think that that's why I think applying imposter syndrome to this is interesting because like I've never heard anyone talk about how imposter syndrome applies to belief and doubt, not just like yeah. and and the role that that then plays in you like doubting yourself. So, I don't know, it's interesting. I think it's wow. an interesting tie-in. I think there's lots to just unpack with that. And I think it Like, do you start that individually? Do you find a community and then do all the unpacking? Or, yeah, yeah. Stephen, I liked your uh, tourism example too because uh, the phrase it brought to mind was uh, "I'm between denominations right now." (laughs) 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 And I find I think that's very true for me as well. Like, I think that a lot of my theology, uh, I don't know. Like, I I do feel really uh, attracted to Episcopalism right now. But also, I'm not convinced I like want to actually be a part of a church long term. I don't know. I'm like still kind of on the fence about it, you know? Like the distant cousin of the Methodist church. So (laughs) I'm I'm down for that. She'll take it. That's hilarious. How distant? Episcopal, isn't Episcopal like the Anglican Church of America? Yes, it is. Okay. But as far as theology, really it does align a lot with Methodism. Right. They're just more, they're more liturgical. So that's cool. That's cool. I that's cool. I'm bored with that. That's cool. Yeah. <laughs> I'm between denominations. Not even between ter- churches. That's very funny, Josh. <laughs> or like Tyler was saying in the Discord the other day, uh, this idea of ecumenicalism. Yeah. Which now yeah. I'm like hearing everywhere. <laughs> now that he mentioned it that way. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. Once you hear it, it, you can't unhear it. You do. You find it everywhere. Thank you. Like a lot of private Christian universities are ecumenical. 
my seminary was ecumenical. Emily, could you give us like a quick definition of ecumenical? Because I'd love to hear how you would define it. Well, I mean, do you already know a definition? Like, or are you asking for like my personal definition? Uh, uh, both, I guess. Like we, we were kind of just talking about it. We were just like texting a little bit. I, I didn't actually look up a good definition for it. But the way I understand ecumenical is like involving multiple Christian denominations. Right. You're you're trying to promote unity within a group of Christians, regardless of their denomination affiliation. So like, for instance, like seminaries are a perfect example. Like the school that I went to was ecumenical in the sense that we had students who were uh, Methodist, Episcopal, Lutheran, Presbyterian and everything in between. But they can come to this space unified and learn under this institution. Um, so a lot of church movements that I've been hearing a lot about where they want to be ecumenical in the sense of they don't label themselves as multiple denominations or traditions. They promote that they're ecumenical and they try to have a kind of a blanket theology and service where it will draw in people from different denominations. That's fascinating. I would go to that church. I don't know if I would go long term, but I would go to that church. I would go I would go to that church. Absolutely. Even if it was just as a tourist. <laughs> just get that stamp in your passport. <laughs> well, thanks for thinking about imposter syndrome with me, you guys. I I yeah. feel like it was enlightening. I liked it. Thanks for bringing this topic. Any Lovely. closing thoughts? Anything uh, Anything interesting going through your brains at the moment? Mm. Um, Stephen, if you want to know which Methodist church to go to in Billings, I can I can tell you which ones me personally I would go to if I was not a pastor myself. Yeah, we'll do that off air. So, That's good. Yeah, yeah. Because I don't want to throw shade to the other three, right? No. Like <laughs> it wouldn't be shade. No, it wouldn't be shade. <laughs> They're good sports. They know. You just got to rank them. Yeah. Right. Yes. Yeah, no, that's good. I think, man, I, I'm still dwelling on this idea of like, it does feel like a courageous act to tell your imposter syndrome or your inner critic to just shut up for a second. Mm. That's where I'm at right now because I, I was going on a rant of something I truly believed. And then halfway through it, I was like, damn it, I'm talking to myself. (laughs) This is how I should be with church right now. Like, dang it. Yeah. Darn. So I'm just kind of reeling with that idea right now. Because in, in some ways, like the like a, a practice of journaling and um, just constant knowledge seeking in a way for me is a way to hush my inner critic and keep imposter syndrome at bay. Because as long as I feel like I'm still on, like chasing the horizon of things I don't know or things I want to know. Or places I want to belong, I guess. That feels like if I stay in motion, I don't like dwell in imposter syndrome too long, if that makes sense. I think my closing thought is going to be, I think that a lot of the imposter syndrome that is created around church and belief is created by the churches themselves. Like whether it's having like <gasps> too high of expectations for a Christian life. And then when people yes. find that they like, can't read their Bible and journal every day, then they're like, well, I guess I'm not a Christian because they say that mm. that's what it means. Or Oof. when it's uh, when people equate with going to church with being a Christian and people can't go to church for a while for whatever reason, I, it just alienates people, I think, to have all of these 
like very clear cut, highly defined rules around Christianity when Christianity is very fluid and dynamic as a whole mm. and ecumenical. Like there's just like so many different expressions and emphases in faith that it, it feels like a disservice, frankly, to make people feel that way. Mm-mm. Very good. Well, Emily, do you have a, uh, a benediction for us? Any, any closing thoughts or are you feeling like you're not up for it? No, I'm kind of stuck, to be honest. I don't know if it's because I don't have the words or I I think how I would want to close is kind of just this idea of you're not alone. Like, I, I know we tell people that and like the whole point of this podcast is for us to come together. But I want people to truly know that you're not alone in whatever you are experiencing in your faith or your faith journey that you don't need to feel as if you are unworthy or unqualified. Um, And my hope is that we can all find that space or those people that we feel safe and comfortable disclosing or sharing to and that we just continue to create this space for everyday people to live out everyday theology together like that that is that's my hope and i am sending us out with that hope for all of us Conspiracy theory. So many Christians love the game Secret Hitler because they are <gasps> afraid of being found out as the secret Hitler. Oh. Yeah, it's almost like an adrenaline rush. Oof. Yeah. Like, who they didn't catch me this time. <gasps> <laughs> I don't believe in hell anymore. Ooh. Hello, and welcome to No Normal People. This is a show where we prove that the more you get to know the normal people in your life, you discover that there really are no normal people in your life. You know how there's like famous people in the world that are known very well and how they go on podcasts? Yeah. Well, we don't do that. Marketable names and yeah, audience. Buzzwords, and, buzz yeah, names. Social following. Yeah. And, John yeah. Buzz. And, well, we interview people like your Uncle Terry, who collects model trains. Because he's normal. We'll even interview you, even if you don't have the cool trains that your uncle has. You can email us at nopeoplepod at gmail.com or visit our show page on www.highline.network to sign up to be on the show. And remember, the only normal people you know are the ones you don't know very well. Highline Media Network. Artist-owned podcasts by normal people in normal places.